You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Network marketing has been called a personal development program with a compensation plan attached. When you succeed in network marketing, you can earn more money than most people can even imagine. But your real success is not measured by money. Your real success is measured by the person you become. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a successful network marketer and a former clinical psychologist. Today, she teaches others how to succeed and grow by stepping into their personal power and leadership. She is a certified trainer with Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, also an elite coach with the John Maxwell team, and the author of the Amazon bestseller, Retire Your Husband. Denise Walsh will inspire you to elevate your game. Denise, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Let's have some fun, Denise. So where were you born? I was born and raised in Troy, Michigan, which is right outside Detroit. And what was that like? Well, you know, good old Midwest. Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was an accountant, and he worked in downtown Detroit. I think he probably had just a few jobs my my growing up years, so pretty much he was a nine-to-fiver. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I grew up um, as the oldest of three kids, active in sports, activities, clubs, you know, and besides the few months of snow, we truly enjoyed where we were. You know, I'm always interested in what people end up becoming passionate about, because very often it's not what they even dreamed of when they were young. So when you were a a child, did you have a dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Even as a elementary schooler, I always had my eyes on helping other people. I remember whenever anybody would cry or I would feel, you know, I'd feel pulled to kind of help the flower on the, or the wallflower and 
I always felt drawn to those that didn't feel included. And, um, for a while, you know, that didn't really mean anything (laughs) to what I wanted, you know, didn't necessarily drive, um, me in any sort of work profession, but it did plant the seed in my heart for, for having my eyes open to those who needed help. And when I was in college, I, uh, throughout like my element or my high school years, I spent a lot of time at camp. And so we'd go um, with my church to a camp every summer and I would come back a changed person. We did mission trips and we'd travel around and do paint, you know, paint houses and do yard work and do roofing and drywall and things. And, and I always came back different than when I left. And so when I was in college, I decided that, hey, when are you ever going to have two to three months where you can like decide what you want to do and travel and, and experience things? So I was actually a camp counselor throughout those years. And it was truly here where I uh, not only became, I changed my, like I transformed throughout those summers, but I got to see other people transform. And uh, I decided to go into the field of psychology. Now, to answer your question, the people thing like kind of was aligned with me the whole, my whole life, but there was a season where I wanted to become a news anchor and I wanted to speak, uh, like, I think I kind of wanted to be like a Ryan Seacrest. Like I decided I didn't really want to do news. <laughs> I just wanted to speak and I just wanted to like hold a microphone. And, um, and that didn't last too long once I realized all the work journalism really, really was. <laughs> Well, the profession you've chosen involves a lot of work, but yeah, in the profession you've chosen, you get to hold a microphone too. I know. It's really going to come full circle. I'm like, oh, I was made for this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And certainly if you have a, a calling to help and transform people, I mean, that's what the game is about, as we both know. Uh, who would you say was the greatest influence on you when you were a child? Oh, I, you know... I really felt safe around my youth group leaders. Um, I really remember thinking things like, I don't need to come and confide in you about anything, but I remember feeling loved by the adults that were in my life and they would just ask me questions and they'd want to get to know me and I felt safe and secure there. Above and beyond that, I loved I loved those that were in service and were giving back. And so um, I loved those that used their voice for good. And I didn't really watch a ton of TV necessarily. So there weren't like mega stars that I really connected with. But I really do think Oprah was a great example of using her voice and her platform um, to spread love into the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, you became a clinical psychologist, so you were in a field where you could help people. Mm-hmm. But did you experience something there that made you dissatisfied? Yes. So I did my camp experiences. The first few were at uh, recreation experiences in Asheville, North Carolina, where we basically did manual labor. And it was really fun, but it was really hard. Like I carried shingles up the roof. I was like, they called me diesel because I was, you know, you just <laughs> do what you do, right? And then the next two summers, I worked in New York uh, with foster care children. And so, again, this was really like 
I really developed a heart for, for adolescents and for kids. And so I went to Wheaton, which is right outside Chicago, got my master's, came back and got my first job. And I was so excited because I was ready to change the world. You know, I was ready to like take all my skills and, <laughs> and have at it and make the world a better place. And my first job was at a clinical, uh, I was a clinical psychologist at a community mental health. Um, and I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan area right now. And so I was excited, right? I was really like passionate about what I was doing. And then I quickly realized that it was more about policy, paperwork, and procedure than it really was about people. And I went through what they call a quarter life crisis. You know, I was in school for six years to do this and I finally get my degree and I finally get my first job, which we're like waiting for. <laughs> and oh my gosh, I was working with people that didn't really want help in a system that couldn't really help them. And I remember these big dreams and these big goals and these big passions that I had just slowly started to shrink and I started to settle. And I remember thinking things like, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. This is just my piece of the pie. But yet I knew there was more like I was restless for more, but I didn't really know what to do or how to get there. I love what you just that story you just told because I'm sure a lot of our listeners, a lot of our storytellers can relate. I certainly can relate. I, um, like you, I'm an entrepreneur and a creative person. And I have, my background is in acting. I've taught acting in universities, but every one that I taught in, I found the same thing. Bureaucracy, mediocrity, and all sorts of strange things that got in the way of the purity of the work. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I thrive best when I'm not in an institutional setting, which sounds like you. And now we can explore the story about why network marketing, although it's connected to companies, is not anything like the corporate world or the corporate institution that basically kills dreams often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so how, I, be I became a robot, you know, I was going through the motions, but I wasn't fully living or engaged in what I was doing at all. Yeah, a lot of people can relate. So how did you transition from that into network marketing? Well, as you can imagine, I never had network marketing on my dream board. Um, heck, I didn't even know what a dream board was when I started this industry. Um, but what I did know is that I wanted something more and, and I had a heart for people. My husband, on the other hand, he was an aerospace engineer. He worked for GE Aerospace. He helped build Boeing planes and it sounds cool, but he basically lived in cubicle world. And he did have uh, the entrepreneurial DNA. You know, he was always looking for something. He would look at opening up a franchise or opening up a startup or a tutoring company. I mean, he was just kind of always looking for something and a way for him to own his own time and cr really have no glass ceiling when it term comes term to income. So he's had his eyes open for a while. And I was the naysayer wife that was like, 
whatever, honey, nice try, probably not going to work for us. And <laughs> but when we found our company, we were actually in a small group with our friends at church and they introduced us to the product first and I got excited about that. I've always been interested in health and wellness. I've always been, you know, marathon runner and working out and all of that. And so the idea of preventative nutrition aligned with me. And then my husband started to see the dollar signs. And he was like a hot sizzle product that nobody knows about, we're in. And I became a customer, but we quickly upgraded to become distributors and, and haven't looked back since. So uh, does he do this full time with you too now? He does, yeah. So we both started, we started when we were both working full time, but we did not have any kids. We worked our business up and we were able to quit our JOBs in about two and a half, three years. And um, we've been full-time with our company for over nine years now. So we've got two little boys who only know two work-from-home parents. And it's truly, truly been a, an, I mean, ama an amazing blessing. I know. I know. For people who have families, it's fantastic because they actually get to watch their children grow up. And they get to participate and engage with that process. And, <laughs> I mean, you can't put a dollar sign on that. Now, did you at all resist network marketing at first? Well, I can tell you the first person that I talked to was my brother who was in law school. Uh -oh. And yeah, and he he was like, "Oh, sounds like a pyramid scheme." You know, he was <laughs> very resistant to what we were doing and my whole family's 9 to 5, you know, got their degrees and got a job and careers that they were in for a long long time. And so um and so it wasn't I, I just didn't know anything about it. And so I was certainly not a salesperson. I didn't really know business. I felt like I, I didn't really have any clue what I was getting into. And because our family didn't really jump on board right away, we did have to go meet new people quickly. But I think because I was surrounded by my husband who had a brain cell for this type of thing, and then our team, you know, my uplines um, and connected to the other local distributors, it, it was there that I truly started to understand what I had my hands on, but I certainly came in with no clue. <laughs> That's great. It's a great story. So what other obstacles did you have to overcome to fall in love with network marketing? Oh, I do feel like I've seen and been at, I've been in our company for 11 years now. And so certainly the a couple things at the beginning were fear of success and fear of failure. You know, it's interesting that you truly can let both of those block you. Fear of failure was what if it doesn't work? You know, what if it does work? What will people think? You know, fear of rejection. A lot of those things came in at the beginning. And then as I started to build confidence because I was seeing results with the products and results with the business, uh, a lot of those fears started subsiding. But then, then it was fears of leaving family and friends behind who weren't growing along with me in the vision. And I had to um, kind of work through the comparison game. I remember, especially at the beginning when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, I would look at what everybody else was doing and I would say things like, oh, maybe I need to be more like them. Maybe I need to go back to school for business. Maybe I need to X, Y, and Z. And my husband, one time I was telling him or maybe complaining, I don't know, about what I should do differently. He looked at me and he said, Denise, you've always been a good friend and just do that. And so like throughout it, I've really had, I've had the ups and downs, the struggles, the, the, you know, all of it, but I've 
really learned that I can be good at this business because of who I already am. And when I identified my strengths, my giftings, my passions, and then I stayed in that zone, that's really when I started to see things start to thrive for me. I absolutely love it. Are you familiar with the name Holton Bugs? I'm not. I'm going to write it down. Oh, yeah. You're going to look them up right after this. Uh -huh. Trust me. Holton Bugs might be right now the highest earning network marketer in the world. Okay. And you only get one guess at how much he earns. Well, I know um, I'm going to guess over a million a month. So two, three million a month? No. Well, it might be, but he was earning a million a month. A million a month. Okay. That's uh, my vision. million a month. And, and the reason I brought up his name, you look him up and there are many different videos of him, but there's one that's about 10 minutes long. It's an excerpt from an, an Eric Worre event. And he says something really powerful. He said, the reason I'm successful is because I will out-friend anyone here. I love so that. When he connects with someone, mm -hmm. he truly becomes their friend, even if they don't stay with the business. Right. And that ability to connect so authentically has made him the huge success that he is. Awesome. And the other name I wanted to ask you about is, do you know... Dan Sullivan. No, I don't know that name either. Dan Sullivan, strategic coach. He's a, a genius. And I just listened to a podcast today. And I'm going to send you the link after because some of what you were talking about, about your struggle to, you could have caved in and given into peer pressure and said, well, you know what? I'm leaving people behind and maybe I should be like them. And that is a story that people live into that kills their dreams. And Dan Sullivan is a master at helping people to overcome that and own and live into the dreams that they deserve. You know, I think it is. It's a, it's a, I stayed at my J-O-B, my job that I didn't like for five years, and I felt restless, and I knew I wanted more, but I stayed stuck because I didn't know what else to do. And so I think so many people are in this state of transition where they don't like where they are, but they don't really know where else to go. And because of that, like they're just, you know what I mean? And, oh, and, yeah. oh, and yeah. I stayed because it was comfortable, because it was easy, because it was easier to stay here than it was to take a step out there. And what I have learned time and time again is that, oh, my gosh, it may be a little scary, but it's better than being stuck. And, and that's the, as they say, the blessing is right outside the comfort zone. So every time I start to feel a bit comfortable, I know I have to learn something new. I love it. Absolutely love it. I also love the very cute little boy who's standing next to you. <laughs> I know. We What's had a his random name? day off of school. I don't even know What's why. What's his name? What's his this, name? This is Eli. He's four. And I set uh, him up with a really good show that he decided he didn't care about anymore. <laughs> you know what? Because mom and Lewis are a better show. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Hi, this is hi. the beautiful thing about working from home. I know. Hey, Eli's waving to me. That's great. <laughs> 
This is great. <laughs> well, I really, really like um, where you're coming from. You've um, obviously stepped into an authenticity that's allowing you to grow in your profession. So talk a bit more about how the profession of network marketing has enriched your life. You know, I got into the field of psychology because I wanted to help people become their best self. And like the community mental health space was not happening for me. And so what I have found with network marketing is that I get to do what I love 110%. I get to work with people that really want help and I'm working in a situation that can actually help them. So I feel like because of our team communities, people are, feel, feel that trust, they feel safe, their walls come down, and they're able to truly blossom into who they're created to be. And I just, I, it does, like we talked about earlier, I really do feel like it's come full circle. Uh, and, and, and I love that I have a space that will allow for people to, to dream, to become their best self, to practice, to, to fail forward, and, um, and they're surrounded by a community that loves them through it. Mm-hmm. Now, what role does storytelling play in your work today? You know, people identify with people that they connect with. Like, success leaves clues, and I know that you can hear a million stories, but it's the one story that makes you go, oh my gosh, I can do this. You know, and everybody's going to connect with different people. And so we are constantly sharing product testimonies, distributor testimonies, things where people can, you know, the goal is to flip a switch, right? Where people say, oh my gosh, I can relate. I can relate. And I know for me, it was going to events and it was getting in front of people who were doing what I wanted to do to learn and build that confidence in myself. And so we're constantly telling our story, but then also teaching our team to tell their stories as well and to share a a lot of them, not just our own, but like a lot of different stories because you never know what is what we're going to connect with. I heard a quote recently that I really loved. It says, you cannot be what you cannot see. So hearing different types of stories and no matter, you know, whatever it is, once you hear it and you see that someone um, has experienced success, it really can flip that switch for you to say, you know, I can do it too. Absolutely. And stories are the powerful vehicles for tapping into our deeper emotions and for Mm -hmm touching other people's emotions. You can't do that with facts. Joe Polish, um, head of the Genius Network, I love, he has, he says, sales is influence, marketing is storytelling. And he means that in an authentic way. He doesn't mean telling slick stories that seduce people, but telling authentic stories that make people feel the value that they have in themselves and in the things that you can offer them as well. Did you know that they did a scientific study? And I I always forget which side. I think the right side of the brain is the creative and the left side is the analytical. Yeah. They did a study where they were presenting information to people just giving them data. And what they've noticed is that the right side of the brain actually 
went to sleep. Oh, interesting. Then, when they started communicating the same information with a story, the right side of the brain completely woke up and the left side of the brain completely engaged with it. Mm -hmm. So the whole person was involved in receiving it. And that's why people remember stories, they're moved by stories, and you can affect major positive change by using authentic stories. You know, one of the things I did to develop my speaking when I decided that was a skill I wanted to learn, I did Toastmasters for a year. And one of the skills they teach there is exactly that, storytelling, taking people on a journey because we all think in pictures in our mind and it makes it extremely memorable when you can connect that picture to an emotion uh, because not only are they going to, you know, they're going to feel something, they're going to see something and then they'll remember it too. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, this is the reason my my podcast exists. Mm-hmm. Now, I love something that you have said, that jealousy motivates people to achieve success. Can you talk about that? Well, what I've learned is that jealousy is just a, a cute, I mean, jealousy is a kind of a connection with a comparison game, right? It's very easy to look at others and say, oh my goodness, do I need to change? Um, It's also easy to look at others and say, oh my goodness, why are they X, Y, and Z? You know, they need to, you know, they're better than me or whatever. And what I've learned through the years is that whenever I'm feeling like that, and so this is what I coach my team as well, if they're feeling jealous about somebody else, it truly means that the other person is making something a priority that I'm not. So if I'm jealous about somebody's physique, let's say, then they're making their nutrition a priority and I'm not. If I'm jealous from somebody about somebody's success in business, well, they're probably making the business more of a priority than I am. And so what I've learned is to kind of take those emotional cues that I'm experiencing and saying, okay, why am I thinking this way? Why am I experiencing this? And what can I do about it? In fact, it's why I started my podcast because I've been thinking about it for years. You know, I've got 15 years of coaching, training, leading, developing teams, communities, like all of this stuff in my head. (laughs) And and for years I was thinking I wanted to start a podcast and then my friend started one and I immediately felt like, what the heck? Like jealous, you know, like a little bit of a hater. And then I realized it really had nothing to do with her at all. She was making it a priority and I wasn't. And if I really wanted it that bad, I needed to put it on my calendar. So this past January, I launched the Dreamcast and I'm, um, I'm loving it. It's been a super fun project to me. And it's one of those things like, you know, you're supposed to do it. So I just feel so fulfilled. Um, but I think that that jealousy was a kick in the pants and <laughs> spurred me to action. Wonderful. Great self-awareness, great clarity. Um, what, who are your guests on Dreamcast? What kind of people? You know, I'm really interested in the transition, like the space where people are when they want to do something new, uh, maybe their first year in the business, or I mean, I just actually interviewed William Hung this afternoon, and he was the one that did She Bangs on American Idol uh-huh. <laughs> years ago. He's known for his failed attempt, and he talks a bit about how he didn't like where he was, and he was a, you know, he used courage to step outside. So a lot of entrepreneurial stories. Uh, success stories, the journeys, the up and down, ups and downs along the way. But there's some marketing ideas and um, marketing tips and stuff thrown throughout. 
Mm. Uh, and, and then I do have some solo episodes as well, including, you know, things about the science of gratitude and, um, you know, just the, the, the steps to truly deciding what you want and creating your own dream life. You're going to love Dan Sullivan. Awesome. Trust me, the more you talk, the more I realize you're going to love him. How can someone free themselves from feelings of guilt and regret? Ooh, you know, from my psych days, these and, and coaching for 10 years, right? All of our distributors and, and working with people, there's so much baggage and emotional negativity that we hang on to, including guilt, resentment, regret. You know, I wish I would have, I can't believe, you know, all of those negative energies that we hang on to. And so when I'm working with somebody, a lot of times if they keep coming back to the, I'm not good enough, I'm, could be better, what, you know, those thought patterns, then well, I'll ask them about a time when they specifically remember experiencing that. Like, what is this guilt really about? What is this regret or resentment really about? And we'll, we'll work, work through it a little bit. But at the end, I find that the same affirmation kind of comes into play. And the same affirm, the affirmation ends up being something like, I did the best that I could with the information that I had at that time. Now that I know better, I will do better. And so working through those emotions and, come in, and, and giving your, ourselves grace um, making amends if we need to, if we need to say we're sorry, then we do that. But yet we give ourselves some grace and freedom to truly move on. And it's, I did the best that I can with the information that I had. And now that I know better, I will do better. And our eyes are focused forward. Hmm. Love it. Do you think mindset's more important than skill to achieve success? I do. I absolutely do. Um, I like to say 80% is mindset, 20% is skill. Um, you know, a lot of things on the what to do and what to say can be learned. It's all, it all can be learned. Mindset is going to be what gets you up in the morning and propels you to take more action than the next person. Oh, yeah, I agree. I um, tell people in network marketing that they can probably learn I can teach them the skills mm -hmm. in about a week. Mm -hmm. The skills. I mean, of course, they have to practice them, but it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. but what's going to determine their success is the mindset. Because mm -hmm. they and can be masters at the skills. If the mindset is negative, forget it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's books now about money mindset and really up leveling your view of money and you're impacting your relationship with money. And I think a lot of times when people hit a plateau in their business, they've got to break through their own personal glass ceiling again and um, just be more open and aware and allow, allow you know, more to happen and, and come into their lives. And we do self-sabotage our, ourselves a lot with just the way we, we think and the expectations we put on ourselves. Totally agree. And I believe that we are, as a culture, more confused about money than we are about sex. And as a culture, we're pretty damn confused about sex. <laughs> and I was just having a conversation with another person I interviewed, and he said, it's interesting how people, two couples can go to dinner, and over dinner, they might be able to comfortably discuss sex and even politics, 
but they're very rarely going to talk personally about their own money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How much, you know, and it, it's, it's a very, very, yeah, we do need to work out our story around money because it's, it's powful, more powerful than, I love it when people say to me, oh, you know, money's not important. I say, oh, okay. I think it's right up there with oxygen, but, you know, if you feel that, um, be my guest. <laughs> How do you define leadership? You know, I, leadership was something I grew into because I came from like a service-based industry and my goal was to love others, right? I really had to grow in my own leadership skin, which meant making decisions and creating clarity for people. A lot of times I think leadership is just the clearest person in the room. And so when, when I grew in my confidence and I was able to say, this is what you need to do to experience success, people started following. People started identifying me as a leader. And at first, this is interesting, at first I figured out what worked for me and then I would tell everybody to do the same thing I was doing. And that was fine. And, it, and that did work. But what I realized over time is that leadership is not just saying, do this, follow me. Leadership is really helping other people to identify their strengths and come into their own space of leadership because not everybody wants to hold a microphone like I do. Not everybody is as interested in doing team calls or being on stage or doing all the things that I was really excited about. And so I learned that part of my job was to get to know them, help them figure out their strength, whether it was they love the products, whether they love community, whether they love the details and the numbers, whether they love to help people, and then give them a job within the team where they can thrive. So some people are product experts and they do team calls with us and they're like the product gurus of the team. And then some people are always the one at registration and that's where they thrive, you know, at our meetings. And some people love compliance and God bless them because they like talk all about that. And so we were able to figure out what their strengths are and then give them a space where they can thrive. And I feel like that has created multiplication even more than the duplication of me saying go do this you know what i mean that's powerful it's very powerful it's um um i i agree i think that's the ultimate aim it should be for great leadership that's just wonderful now what is the relationship in your mind between spirituality and science yeah, this has been a, such a really cool topic for me to learn about over the past few years. And I grew up in a Methodist church back in Troy, Michigan. I grew up, you know, active in our youth group and doing service projects and reading the Bible and things like that. Um, but three years ago, I was introduced to a neuroscientist named Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she is a brain scientist and does all of these experiment, I don't know, research would be the word, not experiments, research, where she, <laughs> where she will, you know, put electrodes on your brain and test brain waves and things. And what she has discovered is, you know, it comes back full circle again with the psychology is that the way we think physically changes the way our brain is structured. So 
or, you know, if you have love thoughts and positive thinking, right, your brain is like a willow tree. You know, it has really active neurons. It's, it's growing. It's thriving. And then if you think negative fear-based thoughts, the neurons start to die and it's like a cactus in there. And like you can physically see a difference in your brain based on your thought patterns. And when I was learning some of these neuroscience and then quantum physics stuff, I realized like that's what Jesus taught in the Bible. You know, take your thoughts captive and, uh, and you know, the power is in the tongue and all of these things that Jesus said that are scriptural are now being confirmed through science. And it was, it's just was like mind blowing to me because I really realized that it's not just psychology fluffy stuff. You know, I learned cognitive behavioral therapy and I taught that to people for years, but it made it much deeper to realize that it was connected in science. And Jesus taught about, taught us about this this whole time. Yeah, no, I, I, I love what you just said. Um, if I may share with you, I, I was brought up in Catholicism, an old school Catholicism that gave me a very bad taste. And I rebelled like really, really strongly. And for years, I thought that the whole concept of prayer was ridiculous. I said, I mean, who in their right modern mind would believe in this? Mm -hmm. Hocus pocus. But I, too, have been exploring uh, spirituality as opposed to dogmatic religion mm -hmm. and also uh, science and especially um, quantum physics. And when you think about prayer as an emanation of energy thought, thought mm -hmm. energy into mm -hmm. the world, that, you know, we talk about the law of attraction. Well, there's a scientific a backing to that, that we're channeling a focused, intense thought that attracts. It's like the frequency wave of a radio station. And if you tune into that frequency wave, you're going to pick it up. And now if, if I look at prayer like that, it makes total sense to me. Did you, by the way, uh, do you know a book named Sacred Commerce? Sacred commerce. Nope. You might love it because it's spirituality awesome. and business. Now, I'm going to read you a quote, and uh, you can take a guess at who said it. Physics extends beyond what is scientifically known today. The future will show that what we now call a cult or the supernatural is based on a science not yet developed, but whose first instant steps are being taken as we speak. Do you know who said that? I don't. Who said it? Nikola Tesla. Oh, my God. Yep. Ah. <laughs> That's surprising. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. One of the things you mentioned is, um, you know, when you think of quantum physics and the connection with prayer, you know, the law of entanglement says that we are all connected through these this frequency and through this energy and that reminds me of prayer as well when i'm thinking or praying love to somebody no matter where they are in the world quantum physics would say that it absolutely impacts them yeah 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 i agree beautiful stuff very very powerful stuff 
Now, you entered a bikini bodybuilding competition and it enriched your marriage. Please tell us about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hit the top of our company in 2015 and I think there was a little part of me that was like, what's next? And so, um, you know, throughout the last few, Brandon and I have been married for since 2005. So what is that? 13 years, 14 years. And um, we've had our ups and downs, ups and downs in and we have had two kids. We've been running a billion, you know, a million dollar business. We're, you know, hustling, right? And so we were at a season in our marriage where we were just, you know, not as connected, I guess I would say. Um, it was, we were just not on the same wavelength. We weren't, like we would disagree on how we spent time and spent resources and things. And because we had two small kids at home, fitness had taken a back seat for me. And because I didn't want to, you know, I was kind of walking on eggshells and I didn't want to rock the waves or whatever. I just let that happen. You know, I said, I'm just going to take care of the kids and I won't, you know, we just were not in a connected space. So I decided I need to do something. And this is a lot of where the, in, like learning about quantum physics and creating my own breakthroughs and things like that really connected with me because I created a war room in a closet down in my basement and it was a walk-in closet that nobody uses. And I would go down in there and I would journal and I would pray and I would just like meditate and just have this space where I was like, I'm not going to focus on him changing or getting better. I'm going to focus on me healing and feeling home again myself. And it was in this space that I was like, I'm going to do something different. Like if I want something different, I have to do something different. And I am going to um, get fitness back on my radar because you know, with two small kids, it just wasn't. And so I started asking around and who could help me, who's a coach. And, you know, I always say, once you decide what you want, the how will show up. So I decided I wanted to get back in the fitness game. And I started asking around, well, one of my friends just happened to do a bikini. She was doing a bikini show and she called me like the week before of her show. And we met up and I decided, all right, this is my how. So I decided to sign up for this bikini competition, which put me on six months of a strict meal plan. Um, like it was not easy. I ended up working out three hours a day by the end. I was tired and it was like, we couldn't go out to dinner anymore because I had to eat chicken and, you know, green beans and whatever. And so it was a, it was interesting how it impacted my family. But what happened was I feel like because I was led to this, I, number one, decided what I wanted and I went for it. So I started working out in the mornings and, and I had, I had to leave and go to the gym. Well, that space allowed Brandon to get up by himself and read and journal and kind of has his, his morning routine alone, which again, when you have two kids that come in and out of your bed all the time, like it, that was not happening. So we decided that it was happening and I would go to the gym and he had his space. And what I found was that by me listening to what like me listening to myself in a sense, allowing my own passions to bubble up again and then to actually take action on them. It created a space for Brandon to have healing as well. And so it sounds silly, but I really do believe that by me listening and taking action on my own desires, it impacted our whole family because it created space that would never have been there. I only disagree with one thing you said. Tell me more. (laughs) 
when you said it sounds silly. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, you. no, no, no. That's beautiful. It makes a lot of sense. And so it's very, there's a lot of wisdom in that. People, people, storytellers, are you listening? <laughs> if you're having conflict with a loved one, listen carefully. Listen to this again. Why do so many people stop themselves from living into their greater potential? Oh, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's being comfortable. I think it's easier. I think uh, that even if, you know, it could, there's a few things. I think it's our own mental space, right? It's easier to be comfortable than it is to take a step out. And so the fear of taking a step out blocks us before we even start. I think secondly, it could be our community. I know you're like your five people that you hang around, right? Well, if the five people you hang around are in debt and hating their lives and that kind of stuff, then anything that you do to make your life better, they're going to say, why are you doing it? Why, why do you don't need to do that? You think you're better than us? And they can end up pulling you back into their circle. And so the 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 mindset that we have but then the community we put ourselves in can really transform us from the inside out but so many times those are the two of the hardest things to change i agree again um a mentor of mine has a beautiful expression environment is stronger than willpower which you'll probably have seen in network marketing when people come to a, a national event and they're on fire, mm -hmm. and they get home, and a week later, they've lost the spark, mm -hmm. and they, they're confused, like, why did that happen? Well, look around you, look at the people you're surrounded with, how many of them are on fire? Probably not a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, what makes you jump out of bed every day, ready to seize the world? You know, I do feel like I have um, a message to share and I have, you know, I feel like I've got that fire in my belly that if I said no or I shrunk back, um, like I couldn't live with myself. And so the fire that I have is to help other people light their own fire and really identify their passions, their gifts, and to step outside into their own power because I've seen transformation in my own life, but I've also seen transformation in so many of our distributors and team and clients throughout the years that I'm so excited about that spark being lit that that's like my mission. I get up and I want to help as many people light their own fire as possible. Mm-hmm. And if you could change only one thing in the world, wave your magic wand and change it, what would that thing be? Only one. One thing. One thing in the world. You know, I think I would love acceptance. You know, I almost said no judgment, but that's negative. So we're going to say acceptance. And I think that if there were acceptance, if people accepted and you know, even if somebody's having a bad day, it's probably because they're having a bad day and they're not meaning to be a jerk. Like I think we take things so personally sometimes when it really has nothing to do with us. In fact, it typically has nothing to do with us. So if I were to accept you the way you are, regardless of if you're having a bad day or not, um, then, then I feel like I would love you re up either way. And I think that that would make the world a better place. I agree again. You know the book, The Four Agreements? 
Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, and one of them is never take anything personally. And where do you envision yourself in five years, Denise? Um, so I'm really excited about the next five years because I am, I created, I've started the podcast this year. I have now, um, created a workbook as well. That's coming out in the next six weeks and it's called the dream life workbook. And basically it's step-by-step process on letting go of guilt, resentment, there's prayer, meditation, and um, combined with the science and the scripture, deciding what you want, letting go of all of the stuff that's holding us back, um, getting clear, and then creating your life purpose, deciding which area of life you want to work on first, and creating a clear goal, um, connecting affirmations and visualizations, and then creating your action plan next to it. And so I'm excited to use this as a way to, um, to really unlock the potential in so many people. And so the next five years, I like see myself doing a TED talk. I am going to be traveling and speaking and um, doing workshops and just really using this material to, um, to like, to light that fire, to unlock the potential in people. And I'm so excited for what it's done for myself and for others. And to have a way, a tangible way to like get it out there is really fun. You know what I want to say? Um, You can't fake what you have. And no, no, really, one of the wonderful things about things you're saying, the things themselves, but it's the energy behind them because it's authentic. You can feel it's from the heart. Uh, It's very, very powerful. I'm sure you will do all these things. Do you uh, invest in money and time in personal development? Yes. So I was listening to uh, a training one time and they said, you should give a percentage of your income back into personal development. And I've always read books and I've always listened to podcasts and I've always, you know, consumed things. But I thought, you know, I need to do more than just read a book. We were top income earners. Like I was like, all right, if a portion of our (laughs) income is going towards personal development, it's got to be more than books and tapes. And so I decided to, again, this is one of those things where I decided, all right, I'm going to do an experiential learning. And I looked at Tony Robbins and John Maxwell and all of these gurus out there. And I just landed on the success principles with Jack Canfield. And I became a train the trainer with, with that team for a few reasons. Number one, I read the success principles and it changed my life. One of the things that they teach is to act as if. And so we did this as a team and I, it was so fun. So what we did, it's called a come as you will be party. And you come acting as if who you will be in five years, right? And so we did this. We did webinars and like trained the people, you know, our team, like how to, you know, how do you do 30 things you want to be, do and have, and what do you want your life to look like? What's your ideal day? Like we did all these exercises to help prepare people. And then we came to the, the event dressed up like we would in the year 2025. We did 10 years out. This was back in 2015 and we've done a few since then. But that event was so pivotal in my development and me gaining clarity on what was next for me and my team as well. And so I really connected with the exercises that they teach. And so I got to go there for two weeks and learn not only the success principles and detail myself, but how to teach that. And I use that now in our trainings. And I got to speak in front of Jack Canfield and do my thing. And it was just really, really fun. So yeah, now we're 
um, I'm a train the trainer. And then I also did connect this past year with John Maxwell and he did something for network marketers. And so I went down there and spent some time with them. And now we have a, a bi-monthly call where we get on with John and are able to ask him personal questions on how to raise our own leadership live, level and, and those of our team. And that's been really remarkable as well. Wow. I absolutely love it. And you just blew my mind because I didn't know about that exercise. But a few years ago, I wrote a book called Persuasion Genie. And my background is from the world of acting. And the main principle in acting, one of the foundational principles is to you behave as if. The, they call it the magic as if. And in that book, I created an exercise, which is the exercise you just described. That's awesome. I, I said, you guys, if you're network marketers, I was talking to network marketers, I said, get your team to come to a party and they have to be dressed as if they were already that success that they envision and they have to behave that way the whole night. In mm -hmm. other words, you're stepping into a character. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. So this is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's just such a confirmation for me. I saw that you wrote down Persuasion Genie. It's great, but you won't find it anywhere because I didn't put it on Amazon or anything. I, I have it as a PDF somewhere. Oh. I can get you some of it if you'd like. Yeah, I would love that. And wow, this is, this is really exciting to hear. Do you have a favorite book? I do. I have a lot of favorite books, but I, I narrowed it down. Um, my favorite book that I always come back to is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Because oh, yeah. I think sometimes we, we think that it has to be a big movements or big steps in order to get anywhere, but it truly is the small 1% change that can make a difference. And, and that's what creates momentum. So I, I come back to that. Mm. Now, I do have one, one more audio one. Sure. What is it? <laughs> so, during our um, run to the top of the company, um, we, I listened to The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale every single oh. day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, The Strangest Secret's free on, or on YouTube. It's 30 minutes. It's like from the 50s, but it so is relatable today. And so, I, I listen to that every single day during our promotion months and um, anytime I'm having a funk, I go back to that. And anytime somebody messages me and they're in a funk, I say, listen to this and tell me what you think. That is one of the seminal pieces of works of um, personal development mm -hmm. with that wonderful voice that Word Earl Nightingale had. He sounded like the voice of God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it was like, I love it. What about a favorite quote? My favorite quote right now, and I do think this changes based on kind of the season I'm in, but I love, um, because I'm so interested in the neuroscience and quantum physics and all of this, like this quote is something that I actually had on my wall 15, 20 years ago, but it means something even deeper to me now. And it says, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And learning what I have learned recently about the power of thoughts, 
um, and really understanding that the thoughts absolutely impact your destiny, this quote to me means something even deeper than it did before. And do you know who said it? Well, there's a lot of um, Lou, Lau, I can't say it, is what it's pulling up, but I know there's like um, Gandhi is also quoted here. So there's a couple that pull up for me. Yeah, I've heard it and I love it too. It's very, very powerful. And it's very, very true. Um, when I studied with T. Harv Ecker, I mean, his version of it was this formula, T-F-A-R, T-F-A-R. Thoughts lead to feelings, lead to action, lead to results. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's uh, another way of saying what you just said. Mm -hmm. Now, how can people contact you, Denise? Well, I am on Facebook, um, Denise Hefron Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. I am on Instagram, The Denise Walsh. And um, I do have a website, denisewalsh.com. So if you go to the website, we actually have a little pop-up. And if you are interested in getting an early bird coupon code for the Dream Life Workbook when it comes out, put your name and information in and we'll be sending everybody a 50% off coupon. And it should be out in the next few weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, Facebook, you said Denise what? Walsh? Hefron is my maiden name. So H-E-F as in Frank, F-R-O-N. It probably will show up if you just say Denise Walsh, but. Okay. Any final thoughts for our storytellers? Wow. Well, I think telling your story is an art, you know, think about the highlights of your life and, and the low lights, the low points of your life and know that the more detailed and specific you can be, the more that people will connect with you. And, and I like to often say we are the author of, or, you know, we're the author of our own story. And so where do you want to be in the next two, three, five years? And you can start writing that story now. You can start writing that story today, even if what you see in reality is not quite lining up with what you want. Get it out of your head, get it into your heart, write it on paper, tell people where you're going, and I can tell you people will follow. Wow. What I want to say to my storytellers now is I did not pay Denise to say that, even though she just beautifully and eloquently expressed the very theme of this show, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much, Denise. You delivered amazing value and inspiration to our listeners today. And I had a lot of fun. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Denise Walsh. Let people know that they can enjoy this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Take advantage of the free gift waiting for you at that website the ebook that I created to empower you, your life, and your business called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. We talked about some powerful books today, any one of which could change your life. And remember that you have access to an audiobook of your choice absolutely free and a one-month free trial of all of the service offered by Audible by simply going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. 
Your ability to tell stories well gives you the power to impact lives, build great, meaningful relationships, and create wealth. What would you like to learn that will help you to become a more confident and effective storyteller? Send your questions to L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. That's LoseClub at gmail.com. I promise to answer your questions and to help you increase your storytelling power. There were so many wonderful gems that Denise offered us today. At the very beginning, she spoke about how a leader, in her mind, is the clearest person in the room. I love that definition. You have the opportunity to step into your leadership by becoming clear about who you are and what you want. For me, one of the biggest lessons that I got from Denise was the important message that we have a responsibility to define who we are, to choose the role or the roles that we wish to play in the world, as opposed to accepting the roles that we think we should or that people tell us are the right ones for us. Denise had a wonderful career. She had a rewarding job, but at a certain level, it wasn't rewarding her. It was not fulfilling her as a human being. She had the courage to step beyond that definition of who she was and claim her place in the world. The result was success, wealth, freedom, the ability to be with her family when she wants to be, and to live life on her own terms. In the following week, come up with answers to this question. Am I living a life that I've chosen, a life that I've created, or am I living a life that's been dictated to me, a life that other people say I should do? Am I living a life of choice or a life of obligation? And when you understand that, and when you get clear answers, then ask yourself, what is the dream in my heart? Everyone has one. Even if we think we don't, it's probably because we've just buried it. Reawaken that dream, and then ask yourself, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.